This is Eyewitness News up close. It is no question the biggest education job in the country. Chancellor of the New York City school system. The nation's biggest and most complicated. 1.1 million students speaking up to 180 different languages and costing taxpayers 25 or so billion dollars a year. This morning we talked to Chancellor number 29, Richard Carranza, on the job for just one week. Also on this Sunday morning, a new focus on homeless children. The numbers have gone up and the problems created are the definition of the multiplier effect. This morning we talked to one of New York City's most outspoken homeless advocates, former city council speaker, Christine Quinn. And good morning, everyone. I'm Bill Ritter. Welcome to Up Close. For the first time, we're going to start this program with a quote from a Broadway musical. It's a very ancient saying, but a true and honest thought, that if you become a teacher, by your pupils, you'll be taught. Those words, of course, from the king and I, beautiful, from a teacher. But it couldn't and shouldn't mask how much students really need teachers. Our first guest says he is first and foremost a teacher, although the job that Richard Carranza now has Seems a long way from the classroom. Welcome to the new New York City School Chancellor, Mr. Carranza. Great to meet you. Thank you. I'm you, thrilled to be here. You seem enthusiastic and happy to be here and friendly and on something <laughs> of a honeymoon, I guess, right? Well, what's not to be uh, excited about? I'm in New York City, number one. And number two, I get to work with uh, uh, students and I get to work with those that work with students. So uh, all, all indicators are this is uh, the best of times. It, it is daunting, though, as well. I mean, it's, it's just so super large, right? You were in Houston, we've got a fraction of the number of people. Mm -hmm. San Francisco School District, you're in charge of a fraction of the number of people that you have in New York. So just the whole, the sheer size is daunting. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's always funny to me when people talk about, well, he's never had a school district that big. There's, there's one New York City. There's one New York City's public school. So unless you've been chancellor, that's true. You've never been uh, in a system this big. But I'll tell you, the, the opportunities in New York, uh, the, the incredible energy around public schools in New York, even in my first week, is just absolutely overwhelming and very positive. So I'm very excited enthusiastic about this. So overwhelming in a positive way. Very positive uh, way. What, what struck you on your first week? Of course, your first week, school was not in session. So you got to go behind the scenes a little bit and talk to people and, and figure out where the bathrooms are. <laughs> it, absolutely. But I'm telling you, I'm chomping at the bit. Uh, tomorrow, students come back. I'm going to be in schools. I'm going to be uh, this coming week in, in every borough. Uh, here in our great city. So I'm going to get a chance to spend some time now in schools. That's what I've been looking to do. But you know, what's really struck me about New York's public schools is that the people that I've met with, both within the Department of Education, uh, out in the community, um, elected officials, uh, appointed officials, uh, agency uh, heads, there is a, a passion. There's a palpable sense of urgency uh, to make sure that all of our students are getting just the very best education and educational opportunities. You don't find that everywhere. So I think this is a, a real positive for us in New York City, and I'm looking to be part of uh, a movement that uh, accelerates the great work that was already done by Chancellor Farina and move it and accelerate it. One thing that strikes, uh, I think, people who, who spend any time studying this school district uh, and this system, this huge mammoth system, uh, is, is that I think a lot of people, you, I think you hit it, a lot of people understand the importance, the multiplier effect of and how many people this affects this school system. It's not just the 1.1 million students, it's not all those teachers, not all the administrators, it's, it's also all the family members. So sure. that out of a, a, a city of 8.5 million people, what percentage of those people 
depend and are affected by those 1.1 million students, and it's a majority of them. Absolutely. And if, even if you don't have children, you're going to be affected because if these kids don't get jobs, who's going to pay for our Social Security? You just gave my stump speech, as I've talked to folks. It's about, look, the question is not why should we care about the public school systems in New York. Uh, the, the, the question is why wouldn't you? Because the very... 1.1 million students right now in our classrooms uh, are the future of of New York City. It's the future of America. So it's the future, you know, uh, TV personalities. It's the future chancellor. It's a future teacher. It's a future, you know, plumber. It's a future phlebotomist. Uh, this is the very future of New York City. So uh, w the other thing that struck me about New York City is that in 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 many locations, people think about education, especially public education, as an expense on a on a line item. So you can, if you have an expense, you can, you can cut it, you can reduce it, you can play with that number. What I have found in, in New York, the time that I've been here so far, is that people look at public education as an investment rather than an expense. And it may seem esoteric, but it's incredibly important because if you're investing, you're not going to be so prone to want to you know, go cheap on that or to cut it or to in any, any way negatively impact that. That's a really different approach that, uh, other than the other you know, four or five places I've lived and worked in. What you just said, of course, the first thing that struck me is you're the first person ever on the show to use the word phlebotomist, number one. <laughs> number two, um, are you worried about, um, what's behind, the, what's behind the, the innuendo of what you're saying is you're worried that something may be cut. Uh, is it, are you? Well, I think in, in public education and, and, you know, we, I always, I always like to remind folks that we in, in public education don't sell anything. We don't have a product that we can increase the price of and, and generate more revenue. We are dependent upon how we are funded. Uh, we are a funding stream. So to make the case around why it's important to continue to invest in public education is part of the work. And it's part, and it's important because it's important to the parents that entrust us with their children, but it's important important to the economy of New York as we prepare a well-educated, well-informed, capable future workforce and leadership force. Well, but that's selling something. You know, the future is, is selling sure. something. And you do have some statistics to back that up. I mean, in 2000, uh, before Michael Bloomberg became mayor, right at the end of Rudy Giuliani's tenure as mayor, the, the graduation rate was about 50%. 50%. It's now 75 76%, depending on, on how you look at it. Um, that's a big improvement, but it's still a long way to go. But that is a sales item that you can take to the bank and say, this is how we're improving. This is how much farther we have to go. Absolutely. And, th and that's what I think, you know, when we get held uh, accountable for our results, that's an important indicator of, of, of how we're moving the bar and keeping more students in school and getting them across the stage and get their diploma. But the other conversation that we're having is, and, and I'm looking at, is so once they get that diploma, what does that diploma mean? Is it really the rigorous preparation that we need to get them either into college, if that's the path students want to go into, or a, a preparation uh, for a career or into the military, whatever the case may be, that diploma has to have value as the next step for students. And, and, I, and that takes funding. And there's the other part of that equation, too, what kind of students you're building. You want critical thinkers. You want people who are yeah. compassionate about their fellow human beings. You want all that all in one package. That's a lot to ask 
of a public institution. Well, I, but I think that's the work. I mean, we're educating students right now. If you think about the fact that as we speak in three years, uh, probably 15%, I can't remember the statistics specifically, but about 15% uh, of the jobs that will exist in three to five years have not even been created. And when you think about the startup industry and you think about the technology as just one example and how quickly things develop, uh, you understand that in many, in many respects, we're educating kids for a future that we have yet to define. So we have to be focused on creating those incredibly important skill sets. How do students think critically? How do they communicate? How are they able to demonstrate their knowledge and demonstrate uh, strategic thinking? It's That's the, all important. It's the conundrum that has faced every chancellor. Uh, but, you know, 180 languages. So many immigrants who are, whose parents were born in other countries have their children in the New York City public school systems. How do you do that? It's all, people already say, well, hey, we're already spending 25 billion or so dollars a year on the New York public school systems. That's you know, bigger than the budgets of nearly half the states in the country. Sure. They're not anxious to give more money to the public schools. But I do think that parents and, and constituents are anxious at making sure that we're creating situations or structures that are educating our students to uh, the best possible standards possible. Uh, and I, I think as the role, in the role of a chancellor and in my previous roles as a superintendent, making that ROI argument, the return, return on investment, on investment yep. is incredibly important because parents want to know, if I'm sending my most precious possession to you every day, five days a week, sometimes six days a week, uh, what I I want to make sure is that what I'm getting back is a student that at some point in the future is going to be self-supporting, but more importantly is going to have a track and a pathway for a good life. All right, that's a very good arch. I'd like to get into the weeds a little more. If you can stick around for another segment, we'll, sure. we'll dive deep into how you're going to do all that and find out a little bit about who you are. You I understand you're a Marachi band singer. Is that Absolutely. Right? Well, maybe you'll give us a little... Well, maybe not. Maybe we'll put that on our web as an extra or something. How's you that? got it. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with New York City Schools Chancellor, the new one, Richard Carranza, when I would just do Up Close continues after this quick break. Welcome back to Up Close. We're continuing our conversation with the new New York City Schools Chancellor, Richard Carranza. Thanks for sticking around for another segment. My pleasure. Uh, so do you have a to-do list? I mean, you're very energetic. You're very optimistic. You certainly have a, a you know, can-do attitude. Um, but there are big problems with the biggest school system in the country. Uh, have you identified what you think they are? What's on the top of your to-do list? So Bill, opportunities. Uh, never problems, only opportunities. And, and I think, you know, job number one is get to know the system. And nobody likes to know it all. So I'm not coming into New York City saying I've got all the solutions. You know, nobody has all the solutions. What, what I am a big subscriber to is the notion that if you engage people in having conversations and ask the right questions, you will get to some solutions that are grounded uh, in the people that live and work here in the system. So job number one is getting to know the system. I'm going to, uh, starting tomorrow, be out in every borough, one borough a day. I'm going to be meeting with uh, lots of constituency groups. That's going to continue throughout my tenure uh, as a chancellor. But, you know, we have some big, some big opportunities and big challenges. We're a big urban school system, the biggest in the country. Uh, not unlike many of our sister uh, school districts across the country, uh, issues of opportunity achievement gap. Um, how, how do we make sure that all students are performing at a very high level? And by all students in achievement gap, you're talking about especially how it divides among ethnic minorities or ethnicities. Correct. Yeah. But we also have to pay attention to students with disabilities and how are we providing uh, opportunities for them to be successful academically. Students, uh, English language learners. Uh, you know, I was an English language learner myself. I only spoke Spanish when I started kindergarten. That's a big 
big issue, and I think it's an important issue, especially in a diverse uh, city like New York City. Uh, but so we've, we we're going to be looking at those issues. Uh, you know, folks have talked about segregation in our schools. It's a big controversial topic. Some people think New York City, with mm -hmm. as, as diverse it is, as it is, and how. Uh, wonderful people get along on the streets with each other and their sure. fellow citizens that is the most segregated school system in the country of uh, the big cities right but you also have to you know coming from outside of New York City and thrilled to be in New York City but you know when I worked lived and worked in uh, San Francisco segregation is an issue in San Francisco when I lived and worked in Houston it's an issue in Houston it's not unlike an issue that no one else is dealing with but us so much of it seems to be beyond your control though, because you're talking about where people live in a community uh, based on income law oftentimes, although it's certainly diverse in the city, but based on income, and there are pockets of ethnicities in this city, there's no question about that in this eight and a half million person city, you don't have control over it. Well, I think it's important to keep everybody focused on the fact that schools and school systems have a lot of influence in a lot of different areas, but we're a microcosm of the greater society, so there are some things that we can do and some things that we can't do. My focus in working with all of our constituency groups and working with the mayor is going to be to make sure Sure that we're removing barriers, uh, whether self-imposed or imposed upon us externally, but barriers for all students and families to have access to uh, great educational opportunities across the city. That also means making sure that we have great schools in every single borough and every neighborhood so that families feel like they truly have choice and the choice doesn't have to be across town. You were selected by a mayor who ran in his first term on the uh, inequality gap or the equality gap in New York City, a tale of two cities is what he ran on what they like to call it. Uh, I'm not sure much has been done to really change all that, though. How does the school system uh, apply that? How does that apply to the school system? You have 10% now of students who are homeless, coming from homeless families, uh, working and every day going to school, and it's the only sense of oftentimes good meals that they may have. Sure. So I think you have highlighted just one of the many um, important topics that go into this equity and excellence agenda that the mayor has talked about. So from the public school system, we set a bar that we want all of our students to reach, and it's a rigorous bar for academic achievement, preparation for a 21st century workforce, etc. We are not talking from an equity perspective of lowering that bar, but what we are talking about is that we have students that come to our schools with different levels of challenge different levels of preparation so when we have students that are homeless that it's impossible or a fool's errand to ever think that that student's going to come in and just be ready to go in an algebra class if they're hungry if they don't have somewhere to go home and do their homework when they leave school if they if they've had multi multi uh, days of, of, of couch surfing so what we're talking about from equity is if we know that students have uh, challenges what are we doing to connect with governmental agencies, community-based organizations, and create the infrastructure to give them what they need so that they have a shot at reaching the bar. A lot of people think that the schools let those kids out too early in the day, three o'clock. Why not keep them till five or six o'clock, that the schools are the best place to nurture the whole philosophy of education? And I'm a big supporter of, of extending school days. I think, you know, you have uh, many opportunities to have enrichment kinds of programs, and that's part of a community school's approach. How do we partner with community-based organizations to have some great enrichment programs in our elementary schools, our middle schools, and high schools? How do we create the opportunity for fine arts and and, and differentiated kinds of enrichment activities for our students. We want to educate the whole child, and I think that's a, a big part of what you're talking you about You have a as big, well. big to-do list, and a lot of what you're talking about applies to you personally. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about who you are and, and about your background. You said you started school only speaking Spanish. 
Yeah, so I, I'm a second generation. My grandparents were born in Mexico on both sides of the family. My mom and dad were both bilingual. My mom was a hairdresser. My dad was a journeyman sheet metal worker. He was a tin knocker. Uh, and, you know, they, they knew that we, my brother and I have a twin brother. We were going to go to school. We were going to go to college. They didn't know how, but they knew we were going to go to college. Uh, but they trusted. They only spoke Spanish to us until we went to school because they trusted the public schools would teach us English. Think about the trust that they had in the public schools. That's why I'm such an unabashed advocate. But one of the things that I thank my father very much for is that uh, he taught me how to play guitar at a very young age, and I worked my way through college playing in a mariachi group. And you still do that? Way. You still do it? Whenever I get the chance. Well, there's a few times here, you know, you go in the subways and play them. You can go anywhere you want and play in a mariachi band. Well, we're talking about fundraising for the public schools. There you go. Fe featuring the, ch the, the chancellor on lead guitar. <laughs> that they would may, be great. They may want to pay for me not to sing. <laughs> there, there are a million questions to ask you, and uh, we, we do, most importantly, want to say good luck to you. Thank you. You know, the, the future of this city, and uh, by a multiplier effect, a huge part of the state and a huge part of the country is depending on the success of the chancellor of the city of New York because the students depend on that, too. Thank so you. come back again. Anytime you invite me, I will come back. Good luck. Thank you. Richard Carranza. The biggest education job in the country, and it's all yours, the 29th Chancellor of the School District of New York. When we come back, a new push to deal with the alarming and growing problem of what we just talked about, children who are homeless in New York City. The theme of the new campaign, how to deal with the forgotten face of homelessness. Christine Quinn, the former Speaker of the New York City Council, helping lead the way. She's our guest next. Welcome back to Up Close. More than 63,000 homeless people sleeping every night in homeless shelters in New York City. Who knows how many others sleeping on the streets? And the largest chunk of people in the shelters are families. More than 23,000 children sleeping in shelters, sleeping there and then going to public school. Children who are, to quote our next guest, the forgotten face of homelessness, Christine Quinn, Maybe her name and face is familiar. <laughs> the CEO of WIN, formerly Women in Need, but still and always focused on sheltering women who are homeless and have families. The former city council speaker joins us now. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. So this new campaign is new only because you're pushing it and yeah. saying, we have got to solve this problem. We can't wait any longer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, the facts matter, right? It matters that 70% of the homeless in shelter are families and people don't know that that 40% of all the people in shelter are children matters. New Yorkers need to know that because when they know that, it's going to change their image and their view on homeless and it's going to help us do more for homeless families and all homeless people. But we're really pushing this because the t statistics show that one out of four homeless children who leave shelter this year will return to shelter in a year that a homeless child is twice as likely to be a homeless adult. So if we really want to end this crisis of family homelessness, which we can, we need to think about it in an intergenerational way. A homeless child is twice as likely to be a homeless adult as someone who has never been homeless. Yep. That statistic I don't think I've heard before. We just saw Brooke Shields. Yes. Uh, explain why we just saw Brooke so Shields. So Brooke Shields, we're so excited at when is our new homeless ambassador. And as part of our uh, The Forgotten face of homeless children campaign we are doing a taxi tv public service announcement featuring brooke shields as our new ambassador really talking powerfully but simply about the significance of a safe home for all children uh, this is not new though and no. so the question is you know it's good you're getting these statistics out uh 
But what can you do about it? And what can the average New Yorker do about it? Well, the first thing the average New Yorker can do is to go to Wynn's website, winnyc.org, two N's, and download the report and learn the facts. The second thing they can do is go back to our website and make a donation to help fund these advocacy efforts because they're hard to raise money for. Third, this is a crisis we can solve. When we talk about homeless children, we need to think about before they enter shelter, how we change the shelter experience, what we do after they leave shelter. Now, in the shelter, it's really important that we remember the children. And I'll give you an example. The First Lady, Shalane McRae, has a terrific, really amazing program she put in place called Thrive. It's put social workers, MSWs, licensed social workers in shelter. I can't say enough about it. But it doesn't have any requirement or set aside that any of those social workers be children's social workers. If we really want to remember the children, we need to expand that program with a dedicated pool of money for child social workers. Have you talked to her about it? Uh, we've put it out in this report, and I will be following up. And that's critical because part of what leads to the unstable long-term life of a formerly homeless child is the unprocessed trauma. Look what we learned from veterans and how poorly we treated them and the post-traumatic stress nature of their lives. That's the same type of a thing that can happen to a child who's seen domestic violence, multiple visits to shelter, falling behind in school, and on and on. So this whole holistic approach to dealing Critical. with this. And, you, and on that point, uh, before this program started, you met the new school's chancellor. Yes, you had not yes, met him before. Nope. Um, have you worked with the city schools uh, before closely trying to deal with this? Because he was open to it. Yep. We, we have worked with the schools, but the Department of Education, I'd say not in as deep a way as I would have liked. So it was great to see him uh, here at Channel uh, 7. And uh, to, of course, I immediately gave him my card and said, I'll give you a little bit of time to settle it's in. So and so you to meeting. do that, of course. Well, right. you know, and he was totally into it and psyched right. and excited about it. He did seem it. open to that. He idea. really yes. did. And one of the things we call for in our recommendation, right, we know through our report that the majority of children who will be in shelter come from 15 community boards. So let's put more resources in those community boards to help prevent homelessness, but also to help the children deal with what we know they're going through. So we've called to double the number of school social workers also in public schools in those 15 districts. You can bet I'll be talking to him about that. But you know, Bill, one of the things I want viewers to really know, you know, you think about a child going into shelter and it's horrible, but you usually visualize that as something went wrong and this is their first visit. That's not true. 3,000 of the children we served at Wynn in 2017 had already been in shelter. 67 There's a vicious circle here, right? Vicious circle. And that's why one of our proposals is what I call aftercare. That every shelter, that every family that leaves shelter should have for a year a caseworker who visits them once a month to make sure they're stabilized, they're on tracking, track to live independently long term, and they don't return to shelter. One of the things that both the school's chancellor and you are, uh, you know, the implication, the underlying implication of all this is funding. Yes. And if we have a situation now where middle class and upper middle class New Yorkers are going to be making less money because they can't deduct their property right. taxes or Terrible. their income taxes, that's going to affect all the social service programs that we're talking about including yours. It could. It could. And look, what the President uh, uh, Trump has done around taxes, particularly in New York, New Jersey, and let's be honest, blue Democratic states California is a well. sin. Yeah, California. It's a sin. And notwithstanding all the hype, it's going to take money right out of the middle class pockets of New Yorkers. No question. You know, 
with the nature of homelessness in New York and the right to housing we have in New York, we are going to pay to support the homeless. Let's do it the right way. Aftercare is far cheaper than having to pay for shelter, to build and operate shelters. The best thing we can do is engage in every way to prevent people from returning to shelter. And that will save middle class New Yorkers money. That is a fact. That's dealing with the problem in one minute, with less than one minute we have. I got to ask you a half hour question. Yes. An, with a question with a half hour of answer. How do you get people into their own homes. The city has not figured out a good way to do that yet. No, we were not. The, what I say is the door out of shelter is not as wide as it should be. We need to keep doing supportive housing. In our report, we talk about dramatically reforming the city's voucher program that helps pay uh, for shelters. And we need to invest, we talk about this in the report, is more job training, income building. We have a unique program at Win because if people have jobs that can pay the rent, they won't be returning to shelter. Right, it's not just about homelessness. It's no. about improving education. It's about getting people jobs that can pay the bills. 51% of the mothers at Wynn come to us working. They come to us working sometimes two jobs, but they can't pay the rent. Our job is to help them get on track to a job that can pay the rent. Thank you for joining us, and good luck with your new project. Thank you. Campaign on an old problem. Hmm. All right, Christine Quinn, thank you. That'll do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with Joe Torres is coming up next. If you happen to have missed any part of today's programs, no problem. I'm going to post each of our segments on my Facebook page. I'll do that tomorrow. Thank you all for watching. For all of us here at Channel 7, I'm Bill Ritter. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.